Corinthians 15, and uh, we'll pick up where we left off last time. The Bible says in verse number 35, But some men say, will say, How are the dead raised? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him. And to every seed his own body. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to help us tonight as we go through the rest of this chapter. I pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts, give us understanding of these things in this text, and uh, give us spiritual eyes to see what it is that you're having to say, that you have to say to us, we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now, I talked to you last time about awaken to righteousness and sin not, right? In verse number 34, it says, Some have not the knowledge of God, I speak this to your shame, right? And that it is our responsibility to be reaching people. And, you know, when people don't know the Lord, uh, our testimony, we discussed the lifestyle evangelism and actually verbally witnessing. And that both are important. One doesn't do away with the other. Uh, I'm against the lifestyle evangelism that doesn't actually confront with the gospel. And I'm against being confrontational with the gospel and not living up to what you stand for. A whole lot of people are like that, believe it or not. Uh, they like to dwell on all the unanswerables, and they like to talk about Bible doctrine, and I actually am not even going to bring it up to you because it's so ridiculous, but I heard yesterday, hey, hey, have you ever heard of, and it's like some another new thing uh, that is like, well, actually, it's getting pretty popular, there's an entire documentary on it, and it's this viewpoint that people have, and it had to do with the King James Bible issue and all the rest of this stuff, and it's like always something new, Right? Um, a lot of people that believe the Bible are that way. They, they like that stuff. They actually get into all that stuff. Uh, but a lot of times, those people that have this obsession mentally with doctrine or with being right about everything or seeing something nobody else has seen in the Bible, their lives a lot of times don't live up to it. You know, you can say you believe the Bible all you want, but if you're out at the bar on Friday night getting drunk, having beers with the boys, but you try to talk to them about Jesus, how many of you get in church like that? You see that? That's how that works. I'm just telling you right now. I gave you the illustration of a meeting I had with a guy, and we got done with the meeting, and he said, hey, I really enjoyed this. Let's do it again sometime. And I said, that'd be great. He said, I was thinking about maybe meeting you at the bar. He said, but you ain't going to do that. And I said, you ain't meeting me there. He was, he was literally testing me. That guy in his mid-late 40s, somewhere right around my age, he said, he, he was testing me. Now, if I'd have said, yeah, that sounds great, you know what he'd have done? He'd have wrote me off as just another one of those religious leaders like the church he's from that he absolutely can't stand anymore because of all the hypocrisy. So our life does matter, and people are watching your testimony, so you've got to be aware of that. But notice in verse number 35, but some men will say, so right on the heels of saying, awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God, I speak this to your shame. He says, some people don't know the Lord and it's your fault. I speak it to your shame. You should be telling them. You should be a better witness. You should be a better example. You should be a little more vocal about it. You need to be letting them know that they need the Lord. You ought to have a spirit about you that makes them want what you got. Right on the heels of that, then he turns around and, but, you know what that is. That's a contrast, right? But some men will say. So he's talking about argumentative people. Uh, people that are always looking for a hole in the argument. You know, they always, yeah, but, the yeah, butter, you know. And they're, they're going to say, well, I'm just playing devil's advocate. You know, you could have stopped at the first part. Just playing the devil, man. Uh, they just always want to find a problem. Now, watch his response to him. But some men will say, how are the dead raised and with what body do they come? Right? 
So just just really wanting to to to. Well, how can you prove that? Well, I, well I, yeah, but what's that really look like? And that's not very scientific, right? Notice his response in verse 36. Thou fool. <laughs> wow. Pretty harsh, huh? Do you know you got to know when to turn on the harsh and when not to? And when in doubt, err on the side of grace every time. But it takes time and experience. It takes dealing with a lot of people and, and actually getting to know the individual sometimes. Uh, I've been too harsh with people because I had a certain perception of them and my perception was wrong. They had a look on their face. They were thinking pretty deep. They were uh, troubled about something and they were actually pretty sincere. And then I go be harsh on them and cut their ears off before I even have a chance. Other people will be so sweet and so kind and you really think you're getting somewhere and they're so conversational about it and they just really enjoy the conversation, but they're not wanting it. They don't want it at all. I had the opportunity to witness to a guy, uh, I mentioned him before, 70-something-year-old doctor. And man, I mean, he, he, we got into it, and, and he just had his stinking head handed to him. Uh, he knew he was up against it. And I'm not saying that because I'm being arrogant. I'm saying that because I believe the Bible, and he was in over his head. And the more we got talking, the more, I mean, he got his head handed to him. And every time he'd try to come up with something, God was just giving me the answers, man. God was giving me the responses, and they made sense. It was amazing. It wasn't even me. It was God. Uh, God's working on it. He's a nice guy. So you know what he does? He comes up with some kind of a quantum theory of whatever, and he's like, you need to look this up. I said, what's that got to do with what we're talking about? What he was trying to do is he was trying to say that he can understand who God is and the supernatural and that what, what can't be seen because he's found some, found some scientific thing about the traveling and time and all the rest of this stuff and quantum, this, that, and the other, and you need to look this up. And I just, I just laughed at him. I got to go. I'll see you later, man. I just laughed and shook my head because he'd just been backed into a corner with having to make a decision because he was wrong and he knew it. And the Bible had the answer for everything he was trying to run to and he couldn't get away from it. And so then he tried to pull this random, thou fool. You know what the response to a real nice guy is like that? Hey, man, did you ever look up? No, man, I, don't, I ain't got time. Did you ever read the Bible? You talk to him like that? Oh, yeah, I talked to him like that. In a heartbeat once I know what I'm dealing with. Once I got a read on him. Once I've been gracious once or twice. In a heartbeat. Did you ever look that up? I ain't looking it up till you read the Bible cover to cover. Let me know when you're done. Ain't wasting my time. Why should I waste my time? I'm not searching. He's searching. Paul says, thou fool. What a rough way to talk. That which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. You know why so many Christians never see the fruit of the Christian life, never see the fruit of the Spirit of God? They won't die to themselves. As long as Mike Reagan is alive and well in me and my will, my desire, my personality, my thoughts, the way I handle things, the way I do things, as long as I allow me to be strong, I'm never going to see the fruit of God's Spirit. You know, you have to die to yourself before you can start producing fruit for Jesus Christ, the fruits of the Spirit. And until you choose to die to yourself and say, you know what, I don't like it, my attitude ain't right, I don't want it, I don't want to deal with it, I don't want to, I don't want to be that way, but you know what, the way I want to be is wrong. I got to just say, it doesn't matter what I want. What does he want? So you're never going to see that fruit in your life until you die to yourself. He says in verse number 37, And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be. 
So what he's saying is, according to the physical body in reference to the resurrection, I just made an application to producing fruit as spiritual application, but according to your physical body and the reality of the resurrection, you can't get a glorified body until the one you're in dies. That which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be. You know what you're looking at? A physical body. My glorified body ain't going to look nothing like this. So what this, this grain, this shell that you're looking at, has to go in the ground and die before that glorified body can come out. He says, uh, that, that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be. So this one's not what that one's going to look like, but bare grain. It may chance of weed or of some other grain. So you take a grain and you look at it, you might not know exactly what it is. What's it going to be? Well, I don't know. But when I sow that grain in the ground and it dies and then it sprouts, now I see coming out, I see what actually it was going to be. Do you know that's the same thing with your glorified body? You know, you and I don't really know what God has for us in the millennium. I don't know. I'm not going to know. I don't really know what my glorified body is going to look like. There's a whole lot of conjecture on it, and there's some really great kind of educated guesses, but we don't really know for sure what our glorified body is going to look like or be like. It's just going to be pretty awesome. <laughs> so it's got to, this one has to die before I can see that one. Verse 38, But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and every seed his own body. So you have something that God's given you. That will apply to the spiritual gifts, but it's also going to apply to you in the millennium. Folks, I, don't even, I can't even possibly wrap my mind around it. How did God say that if, you're, if you suffer, you'll reign with Him? How are all of us going to reign? Now, a lot of us don't suffer, so that, that eliminates a whole bunch of Christians that just won't suffer. But if you'll suffer, if you'll, if you'll, have, have you kids ever been made fun of in school for trying to do right? For getting away from the bad kids? That's suffering. So, I mean, as a little kid already, if you're saved and you realize they sass the teacher and I can't. They do stuff on the teacher's back's turn and I'm not supposed to. And I get made fun of for not doing what everybody else is doing or for speaking up against what they're doing or just simply for not going along with it. You don't all have to speak up to everybody and be ripping everybody's face off. You can just refuse to go along with it. That's fine. And then you get made fun of for that, right? You get made fun of for being a Christian. That's suffering. And if you choose to do that for Jesus Christ, you're earning an opportunity to reign in the millennial kingdom. Now stop and think about it for a second. How are we all going to be kings? You can't, we can't grasp what God has planned for us. I'm just telling you, He promised you it's going to happen, so it's going to happen. It's going to be pretty awesome when we get there. But for now, we don't know. We just get little tiny glimpses into it by trying to study our Bible and do the best we can. But God, God's got something for every one of us. That God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. The application to that spiritually is you all have given, been given gifts by God, and everybody's got a different gift. If you don't have a certain gift, don't try to do it. I, knew, I know too many guys that try to be preachers that aren't called to preach. There's guys pastoring that aren't called to pastor. It's like a cloud without water and wind without rain. I know a lot of people that sing and they, they never got the gift to sing. And it's awkward and uncomfortable for everybody but the person singing. Because they love to just show off their gift and everybody else is like, you ain't got it. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Figure out what gifts God has given you 
and operate within the parameters of what God gave you. Don't worry about anything else. If you desire a different gift, ask him for it. And if he doesn't give it to you, be honest he didn't give it to you and move on. When God says no, quit asking. Paul went after it three times. God said three times no, and then Paul gave it up. If God hasn't answered yet, then keep asking. But when God says, no, I don't want that for you, then accept what God has for you. But figure out what you are. Be what you are. You can't be something else because God does what God does and God does it without asking us and he doesn't worry about our feelings on it. If it pleases God to make you a preacher, then God's going to call you to preach and you are going to be nothing but a miserable, failing fool trying to do anything else other than do what God called you to do, which is preach. And if God didn't call you to be a preacher, you're going to be a miserable, failing fool trying to be a preacher. I can't think of a fate worse than, than having to be a pastor without God being in it. I can't think of a worse fate, and I can't think of a better, better career, for lack of a better way to put it, in this world for me. I can't think of anything else I'd rather do. But it's about God. It's not about me. It's about what God put in you. So in verse 38, he says, God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, right? So there's one kind of the flesh of men, all right? We're one thing. Another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. So there's different kinds of flesh. There's also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. So very simple self-explanatory stuff. What he's saying is, not all flesh is the same. Well, you know that. I got into that with his doctor. And he starts trying to talk like, you know, well, we're just whatever. And I said, what's the difference between you and an animal? Huh? What's the difference between you and an animal? You got a soul. Because he was mocking God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? Well, I just don't know how God can be God, and then he's also in the womb of a virgin, and he's a man at the same time, and all this stuff. And I said, how are you a triune being? Who said I am? I said, what makes you different from an animal? He's like, huh? I said, an animal doesn't have a soul. They got a body and a spirit. How do you know that? I said, because I can't have this conversation with an animal. I said, what makes you different than me? Even though we're both body, we both got a spirit of a human being in us, and we both have flesh, right? But why do we have different personalities, different intellects, different strengths, different weaknesses? Where's all that coming from? How about our emotions? How about our ability to reason? Why is it that a dog can't go build a truck, but you and I could if we wanted to? How come a dog can't build this stuff or a moose doesn't go out and create and and, and build things and, 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 and destroy things like we do? They just exist. I said, because God said, let us make man in our image, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, 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 and then he just jumps to another thou fool you're just trying to find you're just trying to find an argument you're just trying to just discredit God just make fun of the Lord he said something super blasphemous I mean super blasphemous and I said you know God's such a gracious God that he lets you get away with talking about him like that <laughs> just stared at him I said, and then you're going to tell me, because he, he is making accusation, you're going to tell me he's not loving because he sends people to hell for rejecting his son after he gave his son to die on a cross for them? 
I said, he gave his son to die on the cross so somebody like you could blaspheme him like you just did and still find forgiveness for that. Besides eternity in the lake of fire. Well, what's the difference, man? See, we're different flesh, right? Well, you got a soul. God's created. He's just showing you God created all these different things. You know, it's the interesting thing about this, these heavenly bodies is the closer they are to the sun, the brighter they shine. Don't forget that. You do get the application, right? Look at verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. So what happens is this body that you've got stinks. It, it gets old. There's nothing you can do about it. Uh, the gray hairs come. The wrinkles come. You might not feel like you're 40, but you're 40. You can say all you want. I feel 20. Okay. Whatever. You're 40. You, you might not feel like you're 60, but you're, I still feel like I'm 40. Well, you ain't 40. The rest of us don't think you're 40. You look 60 to us. You know what's happening? It's corruption. Man, you'll, you'll visit old, old Grandma Ferguson. And to hear her praying, like it's such a simple, almost, almost a childlike prayer. And she's 80-something years old. All that experience in life, walking with the Lord all those years. Well, I mean, inside she's still young. She wants to get up and go. She don't want to lay there. She don't want to hurt. She don't want to have all these health issues. But guess what happens to the flesh? It's going to happen to you if you stick around 80-something years. So what happens to it? It's sown in corruption. It's, it's, uh, it's raised in incorruption. Thank God for that. Wouldn't that be great to get that glorified body and never have to worry about arthritis again or getting sick again or, and never having to walk? You know the smell of a hospital? You understand? You know that smell? That sound? Ne- never have to walk into one of those again. Not for you or anybody you love. Never again. Boy, that would be great. It is sown in dishonor. Boy, you just see the utter humiliation of somebody getting old, I mean, you start out your life in diapers, somebody having to wash you and change you, and then you end up your life after all those years of, of taking care of everybody else and earning your stripes and being a leader and whatever else you do, and then you're all the way back there again with the, it's just pitiful. It's just so sad to think you're losing all of your uh, dignity, just completely gone. That's corruption. That's the circle of life. That, that's just how it works. It's sown in dishonor. But guess what? It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. Man, that is so true. You see the older folks moving? Watch Mrs. Ferguson, move, uh, Mrs., uh, Miss, uh, Miss Fox moving through here, moving slow with that cane. Your kids should not be running by her. Brother Paul can't see. He'll, he'll jump like that if you run by and he's looking to, and he's nowhere near their age, but what's, he's got health problems. It, you, you, you trip her and that could end her life. You've got to have some respect for that. You've got to be careful. Why? She's just getting weak. That is what happens in life. You see, to me, I, I don't know, we have, this, we have this attitude nowadays that old people are useless. You know, they're just a burden and just nobody pays them any attention. To me, I don't see how they could get more valuable. To watch somebody get old, especially if they're old in a church pew, man. Especially if they've been in the church pew the whole time. I mean, even if they haven't, somebody that's older that gets in church and says, no, you young people, this is where I should have been my whole life. What a testimony, man. I mean, what a testimony. 
But you think about the weakness of it. It's, almost, it's scary, isn't it? I, maybe not. Maybe you're not old enough yet to start getting scared by it. But I mean, I, it's just watch life. You just watch life go by and you think, I'm actually going to get weak. I, I, I don't want to be losing my mental faculties. That is the saddest thing. That is the most heartbreaking thing I think I've ever seen is watching somebody not even know their loved ones. See, it's not just heartbreaking for the person. It's heartbreaking for the loved ones. It's weakness. It's, it's just how the flesh works. It's not God hating you. It's just the reality of your flesh. It's sown in weakness. Guess what happens next? You put, that, you put that grain in the ground. You put that body in the ground. Yeah, that's heartbreaking, right? That's, that's tough. But it's raised in power. It, that, that body's never going to get... You're never going to lose your mental faculties once you get your glorified body. You're never going to have to get, get old, get weak, start worrying about falling, having the fears in the night, not able to sleep, all the pain racking your body and, and just the crazy things that start happening and the way that it starts messing with your mind and, and older folks commonly hit, struggle with dehydration and dehydration can affect your mind. There's just a lot of stuff that starts going on. You know that stuff, that's weakness. But God's going to raise that body in power. Look at verse 44, it is sown a natural body. That's what this is. What you've got is just natural. It, it's so... Sometimes I don't even know how to put it into words, but I've used this illustration and I hope it works. Death is swallowed up of life, right? If you're saved. So what you have now, what you're in right now, it feels very real, doesn't it? Okay. When you step into glory, it's going to be so much more real that this life, I think, is almost going to feel like a dream. Does does that kind of make sense? It's like what we have now is natural. So it's it's limited and it's small and it's contained and it's it's frustrated and it's, it lacks understanding and it can't see it all, can't figure it all out. And, and I mean, you have to, every night, think about this. This is a weird thing. Talking about the weakness of your body. Every night, you've got to lay down and sleep. Now, I've gone nights without sleeping. I've gone, I've run quite a long time without sleeping. And then you start seeing things. Yeah, your mind starts getting wacky. Uh, a lot of weird stuff starts happening if you don't sleep. Do you know you're going to die if you don't sleep? You cannot last very long. You know, you can't last very long without food. 30 days? You can't last very long without water. And, and we think that this life is something. This life is frail and it's short and it's limited and it's powerless. It's really so small. But when you sow that body into the ground and God raises that thing and you cross over on the other side, man, you're going to look back at this life and say, like, I'm, I'm, I'm actually alive for the first time. I was trapped in a dead body back then. I was, I was living in a dying, natural, dying organism. That's what you live in right now. You have never seen Mike Reagan. Not a person in this room has ever seen Mike Reagan. You ever think about it? I'm weird. I have never stood there and seen myself. I've looked in a mirror and seen a reflection, but sometimes I even wonder if I'm actually seeing what everybody else sees when I look at a reflection. Because mirrors can distort things. You know what the cameras and all that stuff do. 
I've never actually looked back at me and saw, seen me. I am trapped inside here. The real Mike Reagan is peeking out the windows. I don't have curtains, but I do have the windows. <laughs> Some of you are starting to get that. I made that joke and half the church didn't know what I was talking about and I thought it was funny. I just kept moving. I'm peeking out. I, I'm, I'm literally like, I'm literally trapped inside a dying body. You know what's going to be great? Someday, I'm going to look back at this life. I'm going to be swallowed. I'm going to have the mind of Christ. You think about that. Now, how, how could, I, I wish we knew more. We don't. God doesn't give us more. But he tells us when you sow this one, he's going to raise it in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there's a spiritual body. So what he's doing in verse 44 is he's very simply trying to spell out for you and I some very plain facts. The plain fact is there's two different bodies. One body is the natural body. You're in it now. And he's going to give you a spiritual body later. That's the simple fact of it. So it's like there's, there's cherubims and there's seraphims. There's angels. You're human. As a human, when you die, God's going to give you a glorified body that's going to be a spiritual body. It's not the same as the body you have now. It's, it's flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God, right? We'll see it in a minute. So you probably don't have blood, which would change the color of your skin. It's not a natural body. What kind of body is it? We can see some things in the Bible, but we don't know for sure. Look at uh, verse 45. And so it is written, the first Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Well, that's obvious who those are. The last Adam's obviously Christ. The first Adam was a living soul. That was a man. Now you think about how great God is. God put him in flesh and said, The day that thou eat thereof, thou shalt surely die, right? But they lived hundreds of years after. See, people like to ask me these kind of gotcha questions. And it's so pathetic. It's like, nice try. This, this is the kind of conversations I have with 70-something-year-old doctors. God said the day that... I was like, man, for a guy as smart as you, I'd have thought for sure that you could have come up with that one. Here's the deal. They did die that day. They died spiritually. She lived for something. Yeah, but since she died and dead, was dead in trespasses and sin, God put a time clock on the flesh that she was in at that point. You know what a blessing it is for God to have a time clock on your flesh? Don't we all dread death? Come on, be honest. I want to die. No, you don't, okay? You wanted to die. That's why you stuffed your face this afternoon. That's why whenever you're tired, you start sleeping, even if it's in church. You, just, you, you love yourself, all right? You don't want to die that bad. It's okay. It was funny. You can laugh at it. Not every message is all that exciting. I'm good with it. So look, you live in this body. God puts a time clock on it. You don't want to die. You don't want to get old. If you wanted to die, you wouldn't complain about getting old. You want to live forever. You know what happened with the first beings? When they fell, they weren't in a natural body. They, they had, they, God didn't have a redemption for them. You know what's a blessing for you and me? The angels, the angels that sinned, they're going to hell for eternity. They already had a glorified body. They were in His presence when they fell. There's no redemption for them. You know how awesome God is? 
I mean, you say, well, life is so hard. It's just I can't believe it ends like that. And it's pitiful to watch them suffer and die. And why do good people have bad things happen to good people? You know how great God is to put us in this flesh? Because because of the time clock that's on your flesh, you got, a, you got some long-suffering from God and an opportunity to hear the gospel and to be born again. And once you're born again, you get a glorified body. I'm glad God doesn't put me in sinful flesh and allow me to live forever in it. I think it's pretty awesome the way he set this whole thing up when he, when he came up with a solution for the whole mess. He's, he's amazing. He's an amazing God. You can't out, out, outplay him in chess. He's just got such great strategy. He just gets it done every time, man. God's amazing with what he's doing with us. So in verse number 46, howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. So the first thing is the natural body. Afterward, that which is spiritual. That's why you must be born. Yeah, you got to be born the first time in order to be born again. So are the angels, the fallen, the devils, are they going to get saved? No. Why? Because that which is first, in, in this context, that which is first is the natural and then the spiritual. They had the spiritual first. They didn't have a natural. There, there's no second birth for them. They're done. They're sealed. Their fate is sealed for good. Uh, look at uh, verse number 47. So all this, so all this garbage, this, uh, it'll come to me in a second. It's this Unitarian stuff that they believe in the end. I forget the exact name for it. They believe in the end that God's even going to save the devil once he spends enough time in hell and burns his sins off, then he's going to wind up. That's a bunch of hogwash. That's made up, Unitarian, New Age, godless, depraved, witchcraft garbage. That ain't Bible, and that ain't going to happen. All right, verse number uh, 40, 46. Uh, that which is uh, not, that, how be it, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. Verse 47. The first man is of the earth, earthy. God made Adam out of what? You guys see how simple this stuff is? This is not tough. The Bible's so hard to understand. Slow down and pay attention to what you're reading and watch the rhythm of the thing. A, B, A, B, A, B. All the time throughout the Bible, it's like that. Commentary on what was just said. Clarity on what was just said before. It's amazing how the Bible clarifies itself. The first man is of the earth, earthy. That's Adam. The second man is the Lord from heaven. That's Jesus Christ. That's the virgin birth. That's the star in the east, right? I mean, that, that, he's from heaven. That's Jesus Christ. Uh, verse number 48, As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. That's human. That's human nature. That's why when Christians don't die to themselves and don't seek to be filled with the Spirit of God and follow God and follow the book, when they walk after the flesh, they act like the flesh. What is the flesh capable of? Adultery, fornication, murder, drunkenness, dope, forni- uh, homosexuality. I think I already said fornication. All of it. Lying, stealing, cheating, envy, strife, division, a critical spirit, pride, arrogance. I mean, all that stuff. Born-again Christians are capable of doing every bit of it. Why? Because you're still earthy. you still got a human body. you got a natural body. And that natural body is one of the chains and the weights that drag you down and keep you from being able to be what God wants you to be. Now, I mentioned this morning, God has mercy on it. He remembers your frame. He knows our frame. He remembers that we're but dust, right? In the book of Psalms. 
He, he, he's able to bear our infirmities because he came and he suffered with us. He's able to succor them that are tempted. Why? Because he took on a robe of flesh. He has mercy on the flesh. You know what God's a little harder on? Sins of the Spirit. Do you know the difference between the two? I'll give you an example of the difference between the, sin, between the two. Sins of the Spirit would be uh, Saul. How'd God feel about Saul? Rebellion, witchcraft. That's what God said. His stubbornness. And then he winds up going to a witch in the end. God called it before it happened because he was stubborn and rebellious. That's a sin of the Spirit. You know how many Christians, how many churches are full of Christians that have their flesh all tuned up just right? I mean, they got all the standards and they got everything down perfect and, you know, they just have perfect little Christian home, perfect little looking life, right? But in their spirit, they're arrogant. They're exclusive. They're us four and no more. They're, we're it. We're the best church there is and all the other churches are secondary. And Those kind of sins of the spirit, God don't put up with that stuff. Uh, sins of the flesh. I'll give you a good example of that. King David. A sin of the flesh. He murdered somebody to cover up the fact that he took his wife. <laughs> you say that's atrocious. Yeah, but didn't God have mercy on that? Yeah. See, we got it all backwards, man. I mean, we really got it all backwards. Man, our, our Bible-believing crowd is so hard on certain people. So hard on their tattoos and this and that and the other thing. And, but just so self-righteous about all that stuff. And then just walking around with so much sin of the Spirit. I mean, it's like accepted. It's expected. God don't see it the way we see it. That's earthy stuff. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the earthy, that's what we got now. We shall also, future tense, bear the image of the heavenly. Man, thank God for that. I am looking forward to that day. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. See it? Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. I'm not taking this body to heaven. This body is going into a grave whenever I finish my race down here, and God only knows when that is. And I believe that God's the one in control when I die unless I purposely do something stupid to cut that short. I think we can do that. I think if I go out and shoot up on heroin, I'm taking a real good chance of dying early. Especially with the way this stuff is messed up nowadays, even if your stupid friend tells you he's got a great source and you can trust it. I think if I get into the party life, I can expect to die early. I think if I get in the car and I'm drunk and I start driving, I can expect to drive to die early. I, I can cut short God's plan. You understand that? A lot of people can shut, cut God's plan short. I believe that if I just abuse my body and just do whatever I want with it, I can change what God's intention for my life is. You got that? Okay, that being said, barring that kind of stuff, God is the one in control. If God wants me here and God's not done with me yet, then God will heal me up, keep me going, and get me through. But when God is done with me in this world, He is not letting me take what you're staring at with me. It's staying here. It's just, it's just a tool. It's just, it's just something. It's just a vehicle. You get in it and you move from one place to the next, right? It's just nothing more than a tool for a purpose. That's what you're living in. 
It's a tool for a purpose. And when God's done with you on this earth, you're leaving that mess that you're in, (laughs) that corruption that you're in, you're leaving it here. It's not going with you. You know, people, you live in a world that just idolizes the flesh. You shouldn't shouldn't be so idolized, worshipful, and, and obsessed with your flesh. It's just flesh. I wish I was prettier. I wish I was better looking. I wish I was taller. I wish I didn't weigh what I weigh. All the rest of the dumb stuff that gets hung up in our heads. It's just a, it's, it's not, listen. Whatever bothers you about yourself right now is not going to matter one iota in a hundred years. Right <laughs> it, it, it won't matter. It, it's going to be rotting in a grave if the Lord hasn't come back yet. You're not taking it with you. It's going back to the dust. What really matters is what's inside of that. You ought to be taking more earnest heed to what's inside, not on the outside. You know that verse it says, bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable to all things, uh, having promised in life that now is and that which is to come. Do you know what that means? I've had people quote me that at me all the time. Bodily exercise profiteth little, you know, like saying that I'm wrong. Should a preacher really be working out or training or whatever? Here we go again, right? It says it profits. <laughs> it does profit. Just not anything that really matters much. But it does say, God said, bodily exercise profiteth little. Now a guy like me, if I don't, you don't want to deal with me. Okay? Miss Grace will tell you, if I go too long, she's, go to the gym, you're driving me crazy. I'm easier to deal with. I'm happier. I know that I need it. Really. I blow off steam and I can be nicer to other people. If I, jiu-jitsu was a great blessing from God to me. It was a gift from God to me for six or seven years. It kept me sane. It to keep the, kept the stress off me. You can go there and just, just try to rip somebody's head off and nobody can put you in jail. It's wonderful. Then you're a really nice girl, Dad, when you get home. See what I'm saying? But you got to remember while you do do some of that stuff and do try to take care of yourself because you might be cutting God's purpose short for your life. But you got to remember at the same time, what really matters, what really pays off is the new man inside, not this mess you're looking at. This ain't going. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So you know when you get there, there's not going to be blood in your body. And whatever body you're going to have, it ain't like the one you got now. Now, you just chew on that a while. Now, look at verse number, uh, um, oh, first, still verse 50. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. So that's a great thing. You know, you're never going to have to shower when you get there. You know what I'm really looking forward to? Never shaving again. I hate shaving. It's like the worst thing in the world. And then after a certain point in your life, you, you wake up to this like surreal moment and you start trying not to cry and get depressed because you remember your dad. I mean, you remember, you guys ever used to watch your dad shave? I used to sit there and watch my dad shave. I, don't, I have no idea why. I would talk to him and he was trying to like shave and I drove him crazy. But I remember sitting there watching my dad shave. But he would kind of like grab his face and like pull up like that and be checking the mirror and like pull down. I never, I never pulled up or down. I just shaved my face, right? And it was clean. And just a couple of years ago, I realized, like, i got to start pulling on stuff to make sure there's not missing spots in here. 
You know what that is? <laughs> you get old, man. It's corruption. I'm not old yet, right? But I do have to pull on my face when I shave. You know, I hate shaving. <laughs> I hate shaving. Not, you're not going to have to worry about none of that. You're not going to have to worry about shower. You're not going to have to worry about stinking. You're not going to be, man, this, this thing needs to go to the dry cleaner, right? Why? Because you're not going to be in corruption anymore. It's gonna, folks, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. We're not living for this life. So whatever this life throws at you, just remember, we got something a whole lot better coming. Now let's get in here. We'll wrap this chapter up here in just a couple of minutes. Look at verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. Now, don't forget that. What we're about to talk about is one of the seven mysteries. Now he's showing you the mystery. So you know what this is. And I want you to grab a hold of that. Because nowadays you got all these whack job idiots trying to say that you know the pre-tribulation rapture is not going to happen or there is no rapture in the Bible. Hey, genius. It says flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God, right? Okay. So if we're going right into the millennium, if we're going through the trib into the millennium, how does that fit? Does that, does that make sense? Do you, do, am I making sense to you or am I confusing you? So where do the, the post-millennial goofballs, you can't inherit the kingdom. He, he, you're not going into that kingdom in this body. Something's happening before that to change some things up before the kingdom starts. And it's here. It's a mystery. But he's showing you the mystery. But you've got to understand, even though he's showing it to you, there's still a mystery element. So you can't possibly grasp everything there is to grasp about it. It's a lot like the Trinity. It's a lot like the gospel. I get the gospel. It's simple. But man, sometimes I'm just like blown away. Like I, I just can't fathom how God could do what he did. I mean, how he could send his son like that. For me, I, it's, that's an amazing thing. Now, it says, the mystery is this, we shall not all sleep. Now, throughout your Bible, without taking the time to run the references, that's in reference to a Christian that's talking about death. It's not the soul. The context, see the soul sleepers that think you're going to go into the ground once you die and you're just going to stay in the ground. Your soul stays there till the rapture. You don't, there's no absent from the body and present with the Lord. They believe in soul sleep. That's a, that's a, that's a uh, Jehovah's Witness doctrine. That's not a Bible doctrine. But for whatever reason, that stuff keeps trying to creep into churches, especially Bible-believing churches. When it says, we shall not all sleep, that's not talking about your soul. The entire context of what we've been looking at is your flesh, your, your physical, natural body versus your spiritual body. Is that not the entire context? Leading all the way up. So you've got to jump out of context to say this is talking about the soul. It's talking about your body. Your physical body goes into the ground. That's the sleeping Christian. It's your physical body. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So notice the dead are raised incorruptible first, and we shall be changed. Let me show you verily, verily on that. Go over to 1 Thessalonians, and I want you to see uh, chapter number 4, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at verse 13. 
But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. So they're dead. Their body is dead. Their soul ain't dead. Their spirit ain't dead. Their body is dead. I don't, I don't know where, where, why do they play these mental gymnastics to come up with this other stuff? It's ridiculous. They dote about questions and strifes of words. That's what they do to start getting you off track on this stuff and start making you think it's talking about the soul. Verse 14, For if we believe that, Christ, that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive physically and remain still alive unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, go before, pre-event. Right? We're not going to prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain, bodies. See that? No doubt about it. Shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. With them. With who? With the ones that were already asleep. Their corruptions in the ground. God hits that trumpet, pulls those bodies out of the grave and changes them in a heartbeat. How does that happen? Well, what happens to the Christian that died in a boat somewhere and sharks ate him and excreted him all over the bottom of the ocean? God will pull all those molecules together however he does it. I can't explain it. It's a mystery. It's a real clear one. We know exactly what he's going to do. He spells it out for us. Yeah, but what about, okay, thou fool, <laughs> keep being the yab butter. You can't get better answers for anything than this Bible gives you. You can't get any more clear, but you can't figure it all out either because you're not God. You're trapped in, in what you feel like is life, but it's more like a very vivid dream. You're going to hear and feel life when you get that glorified body. You ain't going to be sleeping over there. You're not going to need to sleep. You're going to perpetually be full of energy, wide awake, like you just had a great night's sleep and you're ready to attack. You're going to perpetually be in that state. So don't, don't get all caught up on the little things you can't grab a hold of. Get what you can get. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall live, rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, in the, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, send them to therapists because you're messing with their minds, talking about the rapture, and you're jacking them all up and you're making them paranoid and you're really doing damage to them psychologically, right? That's what these idiots are saying. There ain't, there ain't nothing about the, there's nothing about the rapture that's supposed to be that way for you. It says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You know the only reason, back to 1 Corinthians 15, let's wrap up. The only, you know the only reason that's not a comfort? The only reason that's not a comfort is because you haven't had enough pain yet. When you get enough pain in life, you're going to get to a point where you're like, maybe the Lord's coming. Maybe today. You put a loved one in the ground and you're not going to see him again. What a comfort to know the day is coming God's going to reunite you. Right. You see? Now I get it when young people get nervous about it. I, I do get that. Like I really want to get married and have kids and all that because they think it's all something that it's not, right? right? And that's a good thing. I'm not trying to dash your hopes. You should. Life is great. Really, life is great. I... I've already lived my life, according to one of my daughters a couple of years ago, you know. It, it's great. But I also say this, it's disappointing too. What I'm trying to tell you is, the disappointments you'll feel here, you'll never feel 
again. You're not going to feel those disappointments when God gives you that changed body. This is going to be a great day. Uh, verse 52, in a moment, twinkle of an eye, we already looked at that. Verse 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal, that's your dying body. That word comes from the word mortician. That's how God refers to the flesh you're living in. This mortal must put on immortality. It'll never die again. So when this corruptible shall it put on incorruption, and this mortal shall it put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. Then shall be brought to pass. That, that saying isn't brought to pass. God said it. God's going to make good on it, but not yet. In the meanwhile, you go to a graveside and you feel like you lost. And you did. What does everybody say? I'm sorry for your... Because you did lose. You can't get it. They're not coming back. Man, horrible. Isn't that horrible? I mean, the reality of that, when you literally lose somebody that's your life, it's horrible. But you know the day is coming. We'll all be reunited up there. And the saying will come to pass, death is swallowed up in victory. Now he says in verse 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Yeah, that day is coming. The sting of death is sin. It's why we all die. Proof we're all sinners. The strength of sin is the law. These idiots that think, you know, you're still under the commandments and all this kind of stuff, they're, they're, they're morons, man. You're still under the Old Testament law. What are you, nuts? What, what did the law do other than constantly condemn you and constantly beat you down and you constantly fail? Constantly. The strength of sin is the law. So when they put themselves back under the law or try to put you back under the law, they're strengthening sin. You're freed from that law. You know what happens when I preach to you that you're freed from that law? You can die to yourself and live unto Jesus Christ. You got liberty in Christ. You got liberty by the Spirit of God. You know what I'm doing? I'm making sin weaker. I'm pointing you to the solution for sin. The solution for sin is your relationship with Jesus Christ. But when all, if all I ever do is preach at your flesh, I'm strengthening the presence of sin in your life, putting you under the law all the time. That doesn't get the job done. Get your eyes on Jesus Christ and walk with Him and focus on Him. And as you love Him and get to know Him and grow in Him and desire Him and learn of Him, your, your appetite for the things of the flesh should begin to fade. That should be a natural byproduct of your relationship with Jesus Christ. The law strengthens sin. doesn't weaken it. Now, you wouldn't think you'd ever have to deal with that, but we've had people years ago out of our church that went from, and they still are, whether they like it or not, a born-again Christian, into wacky, nutty foolishness. I mean, I know stinking white American guys walking around thinking they're Jews, wearing little tassels off their belt. Just nuts, man. Just absolutely off their stinking cotton-picking rocker. Well, it's so spiritual, aren't you? No, you're a fool. And I'll tell you to your face, you're a fool. That's ridiculous stuff. You're freed from sin through Jesus Christ. Now, you know if you follow after sin, you're going to get judged by your heavenly Father and you're not going to have rewards at the judgment seat of Christ or in the millennial kingdom. You're going to lose your opportunity to reign. There's severe repercussions for our sins, but you're not going to lose your soul. And trying to live up to the law ain't going to get the job done. Walking with Jesus Christ will. 
Some of those same people got the most jacked up personal lives you could ever imagine in your life. Talking about living under the law. You lost your mind, man. Verse 57. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I just preached at you a little bit about that. That's the answer. <laughs> He's the answer. Christ is the answer is not just for lost people. To say Christ is the answer is for you and me. He's the solution, man. I want victory over my sin. I don't want to live in sin. I don't want to walk in sin. I don't want sins of the flesh or sins of the spirit. Nothing's darker and nastier than those sins of the spirit. I don't like living like that. I don't like having that unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment and envy and pride in my heart. I don't like it. I like letting it go, man. They didn't ask me to forgive them. Yeah, okay. Did you forgive them? No, I just let it go. <laughs> Why? Because I'm good. Well, if they come ask you to forgive them, are you? Oh, yeah, because I already let it go. That's a way to live, man. I mean, that is a way to live. I don't want to be understand. What's the, what's the answer to not being controlled by the sin? The victory is in Jesus Christ. Last verse. Pretty self-explanatory. Therefore, my beloved brethren... Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What are you saying? You guys, don't quit. Don't give up. Stay at it. Why? Because soon the day is coming when you're going to lay down that flesh and you're going to step off into glory. And God's got some great things waiting for you. So the answer is Jesus Christ. Walk with Him. Talk to Him. Love Him. Fellowship with Him. Get to know Him. The pressure and burden of trying to be a Christian is off your back. Did you hear me? As your pastor, my desire for this church is to take the pressure and the burden of serving the Lord off of you and just encourage you to walk with Jesus Christ and love Him Pray to Him. Read His Word. Be more like Him. Learn about Him. Copycat Him. And you know what you'll do? You'll serve Him. It'll be a natural flow. It won't, there won't be a bunch of pressure to it. You'll want to serve Him. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. How? Through the victory that's in Jesus Christ. Oh, and yet, by the way, your labor, it ain't in vain. You will see when you get there. By the way, You'll see in this life too. I promise you, you'll see in this life too. But even if we don't, we'll see when we get there. All right, let's go ahead and we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer.